0: So Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. But you know, I think I'm going to read through 17 this morning because um, uh, I just want to make sure they're all in the context in that whole unit of thought. And so I'm going to be reading 9 through 17 this morning. I think that may be helpful. And God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, However, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. And so then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Father, I ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Lord, as we continue to work through such a glorious chapter as Romans 8 and all about the spirit and living in the spirit, Father, I pray that this very spirit Romans 8 is writing about and talking about would illuminate our hearts and our minds, would illuminate this text uh, so we can understand it, understand it in a way that makes sense. Understand it in a way that we can apply it, that it becomes applicable to our everyday life. And it becomes applicable in a way that draws us closer to you. As we understand our our purpose in life is to be pleasing to you. And so I pray, Lord, that your name would be made great through these few verses here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Living in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit. You know, um, I think I kind of switched gears from what your outline is. I think I'll go with those points, but might do something a bit different. But um, as we think about living in the Spirit, uh, for some reason, the topic of the Spirit can um, bring out different emotions in each and every one of us as we have different thoughts and ideas on what it means or how it is manifested in our life. And I think we get a pretty good handle on God the Father. And I believe we get a pretty good handle on God the Son. But maybe we don't hear enough or as much about God the Spirit. We believe in the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And yet how do we understand them as one and yet revealed in three separate persons? Well, all the smart theologians down through the ages have still had not been able to understand that. And I also understand that in in our day-to-day life, as in all of our life, be it religious or be it our personal life, be it as we go on vacations, be it as we have our friends in life, be it as in, in our marriages, We're always seeking experiences. We're always seeking joy. We're seeking fun. We're seeking these times of celebration. We're seeking times where life is not mundane, but life is exciting. Life is something that brings pleasure, and it's not just go to bed, get up, have some coffee Though coffee can be heavenly. Have lunch, go to work. I don't know what your day looks like. Go to bed. You know, just day after day after day. And sometimes I wonder if our Christian life, well, I don't even wonder. I think I can say with assurity this morning that our Christian life is often much the same. We're seeking these high points in our Christian life. We're seeking these experiences where we feel exceptionally close to God. We're seeking these experiences. That we know God is present, right? That we know God is working in and through our life. And, And at times we have those moments. I would trust, I would hope that each one of you as a Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, that you would be able to look at a few of those times where you've just had that, what we call that emotional high, that spiritual high, if you will. And I know that uh, for, for, for some, we'll have maybe have a few more of those experiences than others. And sometimes we wonder what it's all about. Or, or sometimes we hear other people talk about their life in Christ or, or how the Holy Spirit works in their life. And we wonder, it's like, well, why, why, why doesn't it work that way in my life? Why haven't I ever experienced that? And I don't know. There may be multiple reasons for that. You know, right now it's, it's hard to not pay attention as we come to the topic of the Spirit, not pay attention to, to everything that's happening at Asbury and beyond, right? I mean, how can you look at that and not say that, that the Spirit is moving in a way that we don't often see, right? I mean, you can go down through, through the years. Uh, Ian Murray just has written a book well, quite some time ago, Revival and Revivalists, and It's an interesting book. It looks at the the history of revival throughout the ages and throughout the time. Uh, And and, and it's good. And and we may very well be experiencing at least a move of God of some sort. Is it revival? I, I don't know. You know, and people are going from all over the world to this little town in Kentucky seeking an experience, seeking a touch from God. And I think we should all rejoice that when we have college campus full of kids that could be out partying and doing whatever else other college kids may be doing, or could be doing. Not all of them. I certainly don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. But here we have these kids that are getting together and just singing, and 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 you wonder, it's like, well, who's even leading this thing? Is there even a? And, and you don't have any of that. You don't have like a figure. You don't have like a a, a, a worship band or or some dynamic speaker. You don't have any of that. You just have students coming together, praying, singing. I mean, just it's quiet. Sometimes it's a little more noise. And yet with that, it can usher in maybe some who want a part of that in a way that I don't know how to describe it. And so when you watch some of the video clips you see what's going on outside the campus on the grounds doesn't really match what's going on inside the campus. As you think about the Holy Spirit and and how the Holy Spirit manifests himself, um, it seems like some of the activity doesn't really line up with what the Bible speaks and says of the Spirit. I, I really appreciate the song you led there, A.J., because I think when you think of that blessed quietness, that blessed assurance... That seems to be the Spirit. And so I, I just th- thought I just couldn't continue on, you know, as I originally planned. But, and, and I'm not going to get it too in-depth in the Spirit or anything, but it just seems appropriate to spend a little time maybe um, looking through Acts um, as we see how the Spirit moved through the Acts of the Apostles. Sometimes we call it a book or sometimes we call it a letter, but it's the acts of the apostles. It's, it's the stuff the apostles did and how the church was formed. And also at times we, we look back and we hear people talk, well, we just go back uh, to the early church. And I'm always kind of fascinated when I hear people talk about wanting to go back to the early church because it's like, well, where, where, how, where, what do you mean? Where do you want to go? How far back do you want to go? You know, the, the, the Acts of the Apostles is all about the birth of the church. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus, or ascension of Jesus, excuse me, the ascension of Jesus, and then as Jesus left, as he promised to send us a helper or a comforter or an advocate, and as the Spirit was poured out, and then from there, the church was birthed, and it continued to progress as things should it progress? And as things should go on, things don't always stay the same just as you and I and if we have kids or, or grandkids or, or a puppy. We don't expect it to be the same, right? We see this movement. And that's what we see through Acts. And that's why I'm always kind of fascinated and, and like to ask when people say, well, I want to go back to the early church. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? Explain that to me. And it seems like often it's um, um, looking for something more than maybe what we experience in our own church. And, and I do hope that we are all always looking for something more than what you will even have here this morning. Because this is certainly not heaven. Um, and so we're always seeking that more as we try and desire that our spirit connects the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of our Heavenly Father. And you're always seeking that. And so I'll try to incorporate uh, maybe a little bit of Acts as we also try to, to focus on these three verses. But next week, maybe we'll look at it a little bit more uh, also. I'm not sure yet. Living in the spirit part two, maybe. <laughs> but, but this morning, um, for living in the spirit... And as we come to these three verses, I do want to remind you of the setting and the context of this entire chapter of of Romans 8. I mean, the point of the entire chapter is to give Christians, to give those who have the Holy Spirit, the assurance and the certainty of the complete and final salvation, as we sung about already this morning. That's what this chapter is all about. To give the believer, no matter what we are experiencing, no matter where we are at in life, no matter what we're going through, that we can have this assurance of salvation. Verse 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul opens Romans 8 with that, and he closes it uh, with 38 and 39, where he ends it with, for I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from what? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what Romans 8 is all about. And as I finished last Sunday, and I said that it is only possible... Oh, uh, to live a life such as that if we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so as Christian people, we should not be so concerned about our salvation, though we obviously need to be concerned about our salvation. Don't, don't hear that. But at times when we wonder, it's like, Lord, I'm not feeling it. I'm just kind of like, ah, doing life. We shouldn't be so concerned about that. But the fact that we are convicted of sin, when we struggle, and when we fall and we wonder, like, God, Lord, why? How can I not get this straight? How can I not get it right for just one day? But that very struggle, that very longing, that very mm, sadness, darkness, Yuckiness, there's a good theological word that we feel in those moments, is actually evidence of the Holy Spirit convicting us in our life. So the test for being a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing, which is quite clear from these three verses, that there is such a thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. And so to be Christian is to have the Holy Spirit. And so how do we know we have the Holy Spirit? That is the question. And out of that, as we try to prove or or try to convince maybe ourselves or others that we truly are Christian or that we truly have the Holy Spirit, We seek for experiences and events that may or may not be authentic. I am not here to judge anybody's action or heart. But verse 9, we see that living in the spirit is to have the spirit. I mean, we must start there. To be living in the spirit and to live in the spirit, we must actually have the spirit. And as I already said, to be Christian is to have the spirit. Verse 9 starts out with, however, you are not in the flesh. And so I want to remind you of why he transitions here to the however, and then he goes to the personal, to the you. You, however, are not in the flesh. Look at verse 5 where Paul had said last week that for those, you see those, not you, but those who are according to the flesh set there again their minds on the things of the flesh and now Paul is turning the corner and saying however you are not those or them you are not there you are not have you do not have your mind set on the flesh but you have your mind set on the spirit set on the spirit and so it is here where i want to uh, take, a, take a little bit of a detour, if you will, and I want to turn to Acts chapter 1. And so you might want to open your Bibles to Acts because we're just going to, I'm sorry I don't have any of these in the outline for you. Uh, uh, so this came about like yesterday, so last night, so whatever, take it for what you will. But I want to kind of walk through Acts just a little bit as we try to grasp and get our mind on the Holy Spirit and what it means uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter, um, don't even have my Bible marked myself. Uh, So in Acts chapter 1, starting out in verse 4, well, maybe I'll start in verse 1 because this was an account that Luke has compiled. He has brought it together for this person named Theophilus, and he wanted to teach him all about Jesus, all that Jesus said and did. And then he starts here in verse 4 of Acts, and he says, gathering them together. Uh, um, he, Jesus, commanded the disciples, because he said, I'm going to ascend. And he commanded the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which he said, you heard from me, that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now and so Jesus right at the beginning before he ascended he said I promise I'm going to give you I'm going but I'm going to give you another like myself and I want to before we move on I just think it's so important because I got this little triangle drawn here which signifies to me the trinity and we see it here that 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 we see God Jesus and the Spirit. So again we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all compiled in these couple verses here. We see the Trinity. And I'm going to continue to be hammering on the point of the Trinity because it's going to be very important as we continue to move on. But I want to turn now that we, we have the introduction and, and, and Jesus says, I'm going to be sending, sending someone. I'm going to raise, I'm going to be I'm going to ascend into heaven from where I came, but I'm going to send you an advocate. John chapter 14, verse 16. Uh, tells that for us where jesus said that i will ask the father and he the father will give you another helper that he may be with you forever and if you remember we talked about that briefly maybe a couple sundays ago that this another is not somebody different but it is another just like me it is another like myself it's like i said i believe i used the example of, of a vehicle not all vehicles are created alike there's a truck And then there's a motorcycle. The two are vehicles. They get us from point A to point B, but they are not the same. They are not another. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's going to be somebody just like me that I am going to be sending. John 16 in verse 12, where Jesus again says about the Holy Spirit that is promised. It says in John 16, verse 12, and he says that I have many more things to say to you. But he says you cannot bear them now. You, you, you can't possibly understand everything right now. It's like it's, Jesus is excited to tell them these things. And he says, but when he, and he says who he is, he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, he, the spirit, will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, the spirit, he, the spirit, will speak. He will disclose to you what it is to come he the spirit will glorify me jesus and he the spirit will take of mine jesus those and disclose it to the disclose it to you so they are working in together and that jesus saying look i can't understand i can't tell you everything right now because you can't possibly grasp it why can't you grasp it because you don't yet have the spirit but when i leave i'm going to send the spirit and these deeper truths that i have for you you're going to be able to understand them when you have this spirit. And now, let's go back again to Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And as I thought about how to frame these, I'm going to frame them in three scenes. I was going to say three acts, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, It's a good synonym of scenes. And so we're going to look at three scenes uh, through the Acts of the Apostles, where we see how the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised was going to be given, was poured out, and how it was manifested here uh, for these folks. And so the first scene, if you bear with me, if I can use that term, uh, in, is in Acts chapter 2. Of course, Pentecost, the one that is most famous. And, and Pentecost is so important because it's going to set the stage for all the other times that come after Pentecost. Pentecost is the benchmark, right? Because it is the first time such a thing has been poured out onto the people. And so in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 says this, that when, again, this is Luke writing an account of how it went. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, and they were all gathered together, the disciples, in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of, as of fire, distributing themselves... And they rested on each one of them. Now listen. And here they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the the, the evidence for being filled with the Holy Spirit. We see it in verse 4. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And, And we understand if you continue to read this account that this tongue was not something that wasn't understood, but it was other languages, like, like 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 languages of the world, because all the people that were gathered together there said, "Wait a minute! We understand them speaking in our language, in our native tongue. We can hear what they're saying. How is this possible? Because these are all Judeans. These are all Jewish Jewish boys. They don't speak these other languages. They don't speak German or Russian or." Or, 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 or any of the other language out there or dialects of it or something like that. No, these are literal languages of the world, and that's how the people realize it's like, wait a minute, something miraculous has happened here, that here are people who speak a language that I understand. Now, let's go to scene 2, uh, uh, and that's in Acts chapter 10, because we're going to see this same pattern happen in Acts chapter 10. So in Acts chapter 10, if we go to verse 44, I'm only going to read one verse here because you can, um, and you're probably so familiar with these stories anyways. But in Acts chapter 10, uh, the backstory story is, is Peter, uh, it goes to Caesarea, right? And, and there he um, is there with Cornelius and his vision, right? The centurion, a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. So the, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Jerusalem, to the Jewish people. And now here's the first time it was ever poured out on non-Jewish people. And so in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, he preached the gospel to them. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And maybe I need to continue. Verse 45, and all the circumcised code word, for all the Jewish people, all those believers who came with Peter, they were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water. For these to be baptized. I think it'd be helpful to insert a footnote here. You see that they had already received the Holy Spirit before they were ever baptized. For those who want to say you can't receive the Holy Spirit until you have been baptized, well, this would not necessarily hold up that discussion or that 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 thought process. Surely nobody can receive the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? Who can possibly Deny them brotherhood. Who can possibly deny them as brothers and sisters in Christ? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay stay there for a few days. And so here we see that same pattern. As, as the Holy Spirit fell on the people, the people who were not Jewish people, who were Gentile people, who were people in Caesarea, they were, they were, they were people over in Samaria and spoke that they understood again what they were talking about, it was not something that they did not understand. They clearly understand this was another language that they understood. It was a real language of the land of the people. So that's scene two. Let's go on and see this pattern through Acts. And let's go to verse 19 of Acts. In verse 19 of Acts, holy smolies! In verse 19 of Acts, we see it here also. In Acts chapter 1, I mean Acts verse 1 of Acts chapter 19. This is Paul at Ephesus, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country, and now notice where he's at, and he came to Ephesus and found some disciples, and he said to them, he said to these disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard whether whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then? Were you baptized? He said, we were baptized into John's baptism. Paul said, well, John baptized for the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him, even Jesus, who was to come after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And they were about 12 men in number. And so here again, we see this pattern that was established all the way back in acts chapter 2 that as the as the gospel message spread throughout the land as the church was being built as the as the, as the way the as followers of Jesus was spreading across the land we've seen the same evidence that is happening as people came to Christ and the holy spirit was poured on them they the, the sign for that or the proof for that was not something they didn't understand but was a language that the people spoke who were not Jewish people, and they could understand what was being said. So within 20 years, within 20 years, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, had been accomplished, where Jesus said that you are going to be my witnesses, and you are going to go into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and even into the remotest parts of the earth. And we have it here before Acts is ever done. This, what Jesus said, has taken place. Acts chapter 2, scene 1 is Jerusalem, Judea. Scene 2 is Caesarea, Samaria. Scene 3 is Ephesus, Asia, and the rest of the world. Paul died in the mid-60s. John, the last of the apostles, died into the late 90s. And with John, the death of John, came the end of the apostolic age. Came the end of how God started his church in Acts chapter 1. A new era was now coming in. The apostolic age was complete and done and the church era now comes in. And so how do we now come and find ourselves in the church era that we're in? Now, if you're an astute person of the Bible, which I trust you are, you may be wondering, but what about Acts chapter 8, right? What about Acts chapter 8? And so I do want to touch on that. Um, I want to go to Acts chapter 8, and I want to look at it here because here we don't see this pattern. It's right before Acts chapter 10, same region, but we don't see this pattern. We see here that in Acts chapter 8, in verse 15, we see that as as Paul or or, I mean as Philip had gone into this area, and and people were being saved and brought to Christ, and, and miracles and things like that were happening. And then along, and then now when the apostles in Jerusalem they heard about what was happening in Samaria and they, had, they received the word of God, so they sent Peter and John. Hey, go down there and see what's happening. Go down there and see what's going on. And so when they came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now listen, verse 16. For he, the Holy Spirit, had, yet, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they began laying hands on them. And they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And so we see here, unlike uh, the other account where they were baptized in the baptism of John, we see here that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And so what are we to make of this? What are we to think of this? Well, I think probably there's many views of it. but, but, But I think the best way that we can think about it, again, because the church was being built. The, the progressive revelation was happening. Progress was being made. God was doing something that had never been done before, and so I believe what was happening here—that God had withheld the Spirit from these folks right here, although they were baptized in the name of Jesus—but in order that the Samaritans might be fully incorporated into the community of Jerusalem. And so, what? what? That—that's that's a, that, thats theological gymnastics, not necessarily because, again, we must understand that God is doing something that had not been done before, and he's building his church. And here are people who needed to be included. This was an exclusive. You're talking about a good old boys club. This was it, especially with those in Jerusalem. I mean, to get into this club, it takes something special to get in there. And so that they could make sure that they were also included, or I should say accepted into this community of people, in this community of believers, God had to send them down. And God did not pour his spirit upon them until there were officials, if you will, the right people from Jerusalem, there to witness and there to be able to say, yes, this is indeed what has happened here. So that's Acts If we go to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, we see there also that Paul later wrote in Acts. It says that we are all one body, and yet we are many members. All members of the same body. Though we are many as one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. And here we see by the time the gospel gets to Corinth and the church is there, that it is readily accepted, that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not a Jew, every single person is accepted into Christ. Every single person has been given the spirit. Every single person is baptized into one body, one body. And, and I might just make one more comment since we're in Acts chapter 12, and that would be to look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, because Acts chapter 13 is is, 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 is used is utilized in two ways. It's, it's either utilized uh, for uh, your marriage when you're going to be married, so it's utilized in the marriage ceremony, uh, taken out of context, but that's okay, it works, it's a love chapter, Uh, it's used there or it's used in the way that I want to talk about it here just just briefly because it starts out with if I speak with the tongues of men and angels have not love I have become a noisy gong and a clamoring cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not Have love. I am nothing. It's often used here, this verse, so that there are those who want to teach and say that the the, the sign of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues in a language that is not an angelic angelic language, a language that is not understood. And if that is your perspective this morning, that's great. That's fine. You, you can, uh, these are things that we can talk about in the body of Christ. And we're still brothers and sisters in Christ if we come out differently on them. What we must understand, and, and, what, and that is what the Bible teaches, and that the Bible teaches that there is no one who does not have the Holy Spirit. Or I should say there, there's no one who is a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. And, and the other thing is that there are not tears of Christianity and so just because somebody is a Christian but doesn't speak in tongues the way some want to understand it doesn't mean that they're a lesser Christian than the other. And so that is, that is also what the Bible teaches against. But this right here, I believe, isn't even teaching that there is such a thing as, as, as tongues in the way that we often want to think of them. Because Paul is writing in a very hypothetical situation. He's writing to a church that is fussing and fighting and carrying on and things such as that. And he says that if, if someone were even to speak in a language that only the angels could understand, it's just a noisy gong without love. And verse 2 really solidifies my understanding and my belief in it because it says, if I have the gift of prophecy and and, and all mysteries, who who can say they can ever have all mysteries? Who can say that they have all knowledge? Who can say that they have faith so as to remove a mountain? See, this is Paul writing an extreme hypothetical case because they are fussing and they are fighting among themselves and they are not loving each other as they are to love each other. And the other thing I want to say about this love, and then we're just going to have to, we're just going to, have, to have a hard stop um, and pick it up next week. But, but the other thing I want to talk about love, Often we think about love for one another, and that's true. That's right. But I believe what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about when it talks about love, it is love for the Father. It is love for God. If you love your way, if you love, what you're, if you love whatever it is that you want to uphold and that you want to divide and argue and, and split over, if you love those things more than you love God, that is not what a Christian does. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about all the things that we often want to say, but it, is, but, it, but it is all about what it looks like for us to have love for the Father in such a way that nothing else matters. Even if we could do these extraordinary things, it did not have love for the Father. It would be worthless, and it would be Pointless. I'm only going to say one more thing, and then I'm just going to try to land this plane and not talk about this so much next week. Um, I want to introduce a word to you that you may or may not be aware of, and that is um, modalism. Now, you probably don't know what that is, um, but, but modalism, when it talks about the Spirit, what it, what it talks about is that the Holy Spirit, that the, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit One person, as we believe and say yes, but it would say that it's manifested or it's done or it's shown in three modes. Often what we hear is when somebody tries to describe the Trinity, what they say is, well, it's like water. It's like water that can be ice, it can be liquid, and it can be a vapor. That's the Trinity. No, that's modalism. That's not true. What we can't get our minds around and what we must Believe is that it is three persons, capital P. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some superpower. The Holy Spirit is not this power that we have been given, though, yes, and we'll talk about it later. The scripture does talk about that, but first and foremost, we must learn the Holy Spirit is the replacement, if you will for Jesus who works within and through our life the holy spirit is not given us as some superman's cape but the holy spirit is giving us as another person and as you will see in Romans chapter 8 verse 9 and also verse 11 and throughout the whole thing is the trinity is always there you cannot separate the father the son and the spirit The three work in tandem together, not just different modes or not just different jobs, if you will. But they are all three persons. And often we see the Holy Spirit not as God the Spirit, but as the superpower given by God to Christians. And that is a dangerous way to think about it. But to land the plane, what's the point of it all? Well... I could say the point of it all is what I started with, that as Christian people who have the Holy Spirit within us, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because of the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is in each and every Christian. If you are a Christian this morning, you have the Spirit within you. And those times where you feel low, those times where you're seeking the mountaintop experience, seek it. Ask God, God, I want to do what you want for your own sake. But you don't have to go to some place like Asbury University to try to find a special place where you can receive some fresh infilling of the Spirit. You can do it right here. I would invite you to come to our Wednesday night prayer meetings. I would invite you to join some of these small groups where we pray together. And they're praying in the Spirit alongside other brothers and believers in Christ. We can find that encouragement. We can find that strength because the spirit that is in each and every one of us. So we're going to leave it right there. I did not plan to say all that this morning, and so maybe it was helpful, maybe it was not. Um, And we'll try to make a little more sense next week, but it'll give you some things to think about. And I would also say, I've had conversations with with different ones of you, and I I would always invite those conversations. Uh, Because just like 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 2 says, I do not have all wisdom. I do not have all knowledge. And I would be very happy to have a conversation with anybody who wants to go a little bit deeper, maybe one-on-one, on on the understanding of a challenging topic, without a doubt, and the way that it is received and viewed many different ways across our faith tradition. We come at it differently, but we must remember, just because we may see it differently, as Christian people who may see it differently, We are still one. We are still unified. We are still brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what our view may be. Father, that was a lot. I pray, Father, by your spirit that is within us, that God the Spirit would illuminate our heart and mind, that we make sense of some of these things, and that we live in a world that sometimes can become Sometimes it's very evil. We live in a world that sometimes, Lord, it can just be the same thing. Repeat, 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 repeat. Life gets old. The struggles become real. Challenges are painful. Life can be painful. Health can be painful. And sometimes we cry out, Lord, where are you? Father, I pray that we would indeed seek you and that we would indeed desire a fresh filling of your spirit, of your touch. Lord, that it it would bring you honor and that would bring you glory. Father, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about our love for you and I pray, Lord, that above all things that we desire to have a deeper, a stronger, more thorough, more intimate, more close relationship with you, God the Father, with you, God the Son.